Well, hello there, everyone. This is Dr. Leslie Carnison of Better Health While Aging, and welcome to um, today's COVID and Aging Adults Update um, for August of 2023. Uh, today is Monday, August 14th, and since there have been some developments on the COVID front, we are actually having a little bit of a COVID wave right now. Uh, I've decided to um, share an update because I have been getting some questions. You may have some questions about what it means. And so I want to share a little information with you, especially if you're an older adult or if you are very involved in the care of an older adult, such as an aging parent. So specifically in this update, uh, I'm going to talk about what I think you should know about the ongoing COVID wave. Uh, and I'm also going to talk about um, the current subvariant. Um, that experts are paying attention to. It's called EG5. I'm going to talk about the upcoming um, COVID vaccine booster. There is a new booster expected um, for mid to late September. Uh, so I'm going to talk about that and how that fits in with the latest variant and um, the current um, rise in COVID cases that we're seeing. I'm going to answer some of what I see as the FAQs right now. I will touch on what are the symptoms of COVID right now, what to do if you catch it. Uh, and I'm also going to touch on um, what I think will really help us live with COVID because, uh, you know, the emergency is over, but we do have to live with this virus uh, at least for the next several years, years, um, possibly decades. And I have some thoughts on that because I think pretending it's gone and that we're back in 2019 is not the right approach. Um, but I also think we don't have to be paranoid about it either. So um, some of the FAQs that I hope to answer, is the current wave serious? Do I need to be careful about COVID? Should I get another booster now? Quite a lot of people are wondering about that, especially if they're about to uh, travel because we're still in a season when many people are traveling. And then many people who are retired actually travel often in September. Uh, I'm going to um, answer the question, what we know about the fall booster so far. Uh, again, what are the symptoms of COVID now and what you should do if you or your aging parent gets COVID? So COVID in the United States now. Yes, we are seeing a wave right now. So wastewater levels have been going up for several weeks. I would say they're at about uh, maybe, I think it looks like 40, 45% of what they were last winter. Hospitalizations have gone up and cases in nursing homes have doubled since June. Um, so why is this? So we've actually had a wave or surge, depending on what you want to call it. I, I think of these more as waves right now, because especially in terms of hospitalizations and deaths, it does not go up as much. It's a little trickier to know how many cases are going up because we don't test in the same way. So we do have to follow uh, wastewater. Uh, but we have had a, a wave every summer. Um, and many experts believe that this is a combination of people doing more travel, more movement. People also get tired um, sometimes with traveling, and that might make them a little more susceptible. In many parts of the country, people are, are inside more, actually, because it's very hot. And so they're inside with air conditioning. Um, but another factor that is probably quite important is um, that many experts feel like uh, at about the six-month mark, if you had a lot of people catch COVID before, when people have just caught COVID, they are relatively immune to it. Not completely immune, but many people will not catch COVID again within the following six months. Some people do. I, I know somebody who said she had it in February and then she got it again in May. Anything is possible. But at the same time, we don't see that very much. Um, 
So another factor that might be causing um, these summer waves is that we tend to have a wave in the winter, um, possibly people being, you know, indoors, we have holidays, we have travel. Uh, and so then in the summer, we're at about six to seven months after that previous wave. And there are just enough people who now have become susceptible because the protection that you get from having had COVID uh, or from getting vaccinated for that matter um, does uh, wear off with time. Um, wears off more quickly if you've been uh, vaccinated than if you've had COVID. Um, this is not, I'm not encouraging anyone to get COVID for protection, but it's probably like getting a booster times 10. And then a new variant can also play a role. Now, this new variant, as I'm going to explain to you, is not super different from the variants that uh, we had before. It is still, you know, a grandchild of the original Omicron. Um, so let me, uh, but I'll talk about that more in a moment. Let me really quickly show you again where I look to see um, the numbers uh, when I'm wondering what is happening with COVID. So let me just find the window that I wanted to share. All right. Um, so because case counts are very unreliable, many people don't test, many people don't report it um, since the ending of the public health emergency. Uh, many experts believe that um, your best bet, if you want to keep an eye on COVID, uh, first of all, listening. If you start to hear people you know saying they came down with COVID, more people, that could be significant. So in this latest summer wave, um, I actually had COVID for the first time um, a few weeks ago, but also before that, some of you know other people in my extended family um, got it in July and I am talking to friends and, you know, I have two more friends who just got it when they were in New York and other people who got it. So some of it is just, you know, kind of what's the word on the street, but also this is Biobot, which shows us, um, uh, um, COVID in wastewater. This is, I think the easiest one to look at for national wastewater. And so you can see this, this was six months ago. Uh, and you can see like starting here, kind of at the end of June, we start to go up, up, up. Um, now, if we want to compare it to what we've had in the past, um, so you can see here, it says the gave the number of copies at 438. And over here, it was 1100. This is where I'm getting about 40% high. Um, this right here was the original Omicron. You know, so we're, we're nothing like that. However, I also want to point out that here when we, you know, got lower, it was not as low as here, um, right? Where it was at 118 copies right here. We're at 165. So not quite as low and certainly not as low as here. This was the summer of 2021 when we had a real low. So um, I have heard experts you know, in the last week say, well, we're starting from a low level for COVID. I think what they mean is we were starting from a low level of hospitalizations. The actual COVID level was not that low, you know, our new normal, if this is going to be our low, you know, is, is more than what we had here in 2021. Um, and this was the summer of uh, 2020, where it also went down before it came back up. Um, so something to keep in mind. And then over here, they show it by region. So there's an impressive jump up in the Midwest. I don't know if that's a data anomaly. We'll see kind of next week whether it sticks or not. Uh, before that, um, the uh, regions that went up first were the Northeast and the South. The West uh, here in California is catching up. Uh, and on this page, you can look for your state and your county 
um, here in California, Alameda County, which is where Berkeley is, is on Biobot, but San Francisco County is not. So if I want to look for numbers for San Francisco, I have to find the Department of Public Health page. And it's a different system, which is less user-friendly. So I don't like it quite as much, but I would recommend searching for your state and seeing if either your county is here or if there are some counties that are here. And if not, you can look elsewhere. Um, so other sources of data, hospitalizations, um, these are hospital admissions starting to come up right here. So this purple line is people 70 plus. So this is, again, kind of really emphasizing that whenever we have waves, it's the people 70 plus who get hospitalized in much higher numbers than everyone else. Um, you can also, in this one, if you want to see other kind of forms of trends for hospitalizations, you can see it going up right here. And then I look at nursing homes. Uh, so this is the nursing home data dashboard. First of all, they're more likely to test in nursing homes. So um, there are no longer the stringent requirements that there were during the pandemic that ended with the end of the public health emergency um, in May, but the CDC has recommendations. Um, uh, so they're no longer required to, you know, asymptomatically test staff. And I don't think they're I don't know if they test people on admission if they have no symptoms or not, but they certainly start testing if anyone looks sick. So there is probably more testing going on in nursing homes um, than in the general population. And um, so over here, if we look down here to the end, you can see that um, last week we were at 5,200 um, reported cases uh, for the week nationwide, and that is about twice what there was in June. So it's going up. Um, fortunately, the deaths right now are not really going up. Um, this is in part because we had so much COVID these last few years that everyone who was weak, well, a lot of weak and vulnerable people have already died of COVID. Um, so to a certain extent, we are left with, you know, survivors, uh, and, you know, we still have, um, you know, we still had 116 people in nursing homes die of COVID. Um, so it's not, uh, it's not nothing. Um, all right, going back to the slides. Um, so you may be wondering, does a COVID wave matter? I have people say this to me whenever I talk about COVID, like, does this matter anymore? Well, um, uh, it matters to me, both because I specialize in older adults who are especially at risk um, when COVID rates start to go up. Um, but also, uh, you know, my own experience having COVID was... Um, for me, it was like the flu and, you know, it, it, uh, took me out for a week. Um, so, uh, what are the risks of a COVID wave? You know, why should we be concerned when we get signs that COVID rates are coming up? Well, the main thing is you have an increased risk of catching COVID unless you become extremely careful. Um, and again, those who are frail and, you know, over age 75 are at the highest hospitalization risk. Also other people who are medically at high risk because they're immune compromised, because they have cancer. Um, uh, actually being pregnant also puts you at higher risk. Um, and then, uh, you know, aside from the inconvenience of being sick and having to isolate for a certain number of days, uh, and actually I find that people who are older tend to keep testing positive for longer, so they may need isolation for longer. Uh, there is a risk of prolonged symptoms. Um, there's a fairly substantial number of people who still have some cough or cannot exercise the way they used to after a month. And then there's the possibility of long COVID, 
um, which is when people, um, well, we can, we won't get too much into how we define long COVID, but you probably, uh, you may know people who have become really disabled actually by their post COVID symptoms, people who get weak and dizzy whenever they stand up or who have really bad brain fog. Um, that's probably one to 5% um, of COVID cases that's, you know, still being debated. So, um, I think it's still not trivial to catch COVID. And then, of course, when we are catching COVID, we have the increase of risk of passing on COVID, and it could potentially be to somebody who's vulnerable. So that matters too. Um, so about this latest variant, EG1. So EG1 is a subvariant of Omicron. It's actually a subvariant of XBB. So the XBB group is the group of Omicron subvariants that we've had uh, really since early this year. Um, the X means it was a recombinant. It was two versions of BA2 that kind of combined um, together, and now it's a descendant of that. Um, so it does have some mutations that are presumably helping it outcompete other variants. Mostly they do that by kind of dodging your initial um, uh, antibodies that you have in your bloodstream that are kind of your first line of um, defense. That's probably why. So it means, you know, it's can be caught, can be caught if you've already had COVID, if you're vaccinated. Um, now, is it otherwise worse or more dangerous? So again, it's not radically different um, from other Omicrons because it's a descendant of Omicron. And at this point in the United States, most people have either had COVID or been vaccinated or both. So as a group, we have a certain amount of underlying immunity, and that's probably why we're not seeing lots and lots of hospitalizations um, or deaths right now. Um, and there is no evidence so far that it makes people particularly uh, sicker. So from what I'm hearing, it's not you know, worse. Some people get mild symptoms. Some people get more symptoms. Um, and of course, it can be hard to know exactly what's happening with people's symptoms because we don't have really good testing and we're not closely following, you know, individuals for like, which variant did you have and, and, um, and what were your symptoms? But as far as we can tell, it's not particularly more dangerous. So that's good. Now, what about the vaccines? Um, so now that we have, you know, a wave, there's more interest among some people in vaccinations boosters, which I think is a good thing. Um, so we do have an updated COVID, you know, booster slash vaccine um, uh, coming in soon. Um, so the CDC has for a while said that they were anticipating that they might re release a um, or encourage an updated booster shot every fall, sort of similar to the flu shot, and that they might formulate it based on what seemed to be circulating earlier in the year. So earlier this summer, the CDC, the FDA, they met. Um, they decided to um, not offer the same booster that they offered last year, which was based on BA4, BA5, but instead to create a booster based on XBB 1.5, which is was uh, quite predominant in the States at the end of the spring, they decided to make it monovalent. So the booster last year had two strains in it. It had the very original COVID strain that was in the original vaccine, plus um, the spike for BA4 and 5. BA4 and BA5 had the same spike, actually. So that was the bivalent booster. Um, but for this fall, they are apparently going with monovalent. It will just have um, spike protein for XBB 1.5. Um, so that should actually be more protective than the previous bivalent booster or the original COVID vaccine. Um, 
you know, in terms of protection against the currently circulating variants, and it should be protective against EG1. So I think all of this is good news. And it's almost certainly going to be approved um, the way they did last year, which was uh, for everybody who's over six months. Um, but um, it is, or should be, I think hopefully they will do this. Um, hopefully they will especially recommend it for older adults, um, plus others at high risk of COVID hospitalization, because those are the people for whom it's most important to get it. So should you get it? If you are watching this and you are over 65, I would say yes. You know, once it comes out, I totally recommend getting it unless you have just had COVID in the last three to four months. So I hope many people will get it because last year for the bivalent booster, they had, um, I think about 45% of older adults who got it. So that was a missed opportunity for many people. Um, and so hopefully this year we will have more older adults get um, the new booster. Um, so in case you're wondering, does the booster actually work? Um, all right. So let's review this very quickly. Um, so first of all, I want you to remember that there's a difference between does the booster work or any vaccine work to keep you from catching the infection versus does it work to keep you from getting dangerously ill? like hospitalized. And what we're most interested in is does it work to keep people from getting dangerously ill? Because for quite a while now, we've noticed that the COVID vaccines, when they first came out at the very end of 2020, they seemed amazingly effective at keeping people from catching COVID. Um, but it turned out that um, uh, uh, once we developed different variants, that didn't work very well. Um, so um in terms of the booster efficacy against infection, I have people say, oh, there's another wave. I want to travel, so I'm going to get a booster so I don't catch COVID. Boosters reduce your risk of catching COVID, but only a little bit and only short term. So some of the recent studies, the CDC did a study in nursing homes, and they found that the vaccine's effectiveness against infection was 31%. Um, this was in the window between November 20th of 2022 and January 8th. So most um, of those nursing home residents had just gotten the booster were about two to three months uh, before. So is it better than nothing? Yes. At the same time, it, you know, it is still relatively easy to catch COVID even if you've had the booster. And then the CDC also presented data earlier this year um, in people who were over age 65, and they found that the um, vaccine uh, efficacy, the booster efficacy, this was compared to people who had gone the original vaccine series, but not a booster. Um, uh, it was 38% in the two weeks to one month after receipt of the bivalent vaccine dose, and it waned to 21% by four to five months. So again, it's not fantastically high when people first get the booster uh, for protection against catching COVID, and it wanes. Um, so what about um, against hospitalization? So um, one of the places where you can find this kind of data, if you want to get very into, you know, what's the latest data on vaccine efficacy, um, is um, the CDC um, does these um well, this is first of all their study for the nursing homes. I'll post this in the links that are with the podcast episode, but they do do these meetings, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, and they have slides with all the details. So this is from the meeting uh, that was done in June. So they did on day three, June 23rd. So you can click here and see their slides. And that's really showing you part of what they're working with. So I'm not going to go through all of it, but 
this is, you know, where I get some of these numbers for anybody who's looking. And so mostly what we can see, you know, my takeaway partly uh, right here is just how the vaccine, and this is vaccine efficacy against hospitalization, how it goes down with time, right? So initially, the vaccine efficacy against hospitalization is 62. Um, and then uh, this is in the first two months. By four months, you're down to you know 47, uh, or between two to four months, you're at 47. And after um, four months, you're down to 24. So this, this, this again means that um, if it's been over six months, you may not be getting, you're getting a lot less protection from, uh, from that booster. Um, so this raises the question of whether people who are over 65 should get two COVID boosters per year. We don't really know. It was made available, um, a second booster to people this year uh, in the spring, and I don't know what will be recommended for the CDC. But for now, I would just encourage everyone over 65 to get the new fall booster uh, when it comes out. All right, let me go back to my slides. Um, also, I will say that one thing that um, uh, I have been curious about is the benefit of boosters in people who have had COVID within the past year. Um, so first of all, that's um, even though it's not my specialty, that's of interest to me in terms of uh, the benefit to people who are under age 50 and to children, whether they should be getting um you know, um, boosters, especially given that so many of them will have had COVID within the past year. So we don't really know. It's an interesting uh, question. Uh, but whether you have immune protection from having COVID or the vaccine, we know that immunity just weakens more quickly as people get older, which is why I think it's a good idea for people who are over 65 um, to, uh, to get a booster, even if they've had COVID within the past year. Um, so, um, my key points regarding the upcoming COVID boosters, and if I need to change something as we learn more about them next month, I will post an update. Um, they reduce COVID infections, but only by a bit, and the effect wanes within a few months. Their main benefit is that they reduce hospitalizations, but that effect is also weakening by six months. The absolute benefit goes up as people get older, frailer, or high risk. Previous studies had suggested that, you know, um, being, you know, recently vaccinated or boosted reduces your hospitalization risk by, you know, 50%-ish or so, and that it's the same at all age groups. But because younger people are so much less likely to be hospitalized in the first place, um, that's why the absolute benefit is smaller, whereas the absolute benefit is much higher in people who are older. So um, don't count on boosters to keep you from getting COVID or passing it on, right? So I keep hearing people say, can I get a booster when they hear there's COVID out there because they don't want to catch COVID? And it's not that you shouldn't get a booster. It's just that if you're serious about not catching COVID, I don't think it's enough. Or if you really want to avoid giving it to a frail older parent. Um, but we should use boosters to reduce hospitalizations uh, in older adults, especially in those who have not had COVID in um, uh let's say the last six months. Um, the CDC right now says you can, uh, they recommend waiting, I think they said at least three months if you've had COVID before you get another vaccination or booster. Um, and there is previous work related to immunology suggesting that the there's a better immune response to the vaccine if you haven't been vaccinated um, in the last four months. So something to keep in mind. Um, so this is a very common question right now, since right now people are hearing about COVID, it's come back in the news, or they know people getting COVID, it's should I get another booster right now? Well, 
Uh, if you go and ask for another booster, um, and I think it's mostly recommended available to people who are over 65, right now, as of mid-August, it's going to be last year's bivalent booster. Um, in terms of protecting you from hospitalization, if you catch COVID, it's better than nothing. Um, it probably will provide some effect. It's probably not going to be as effective as the booster that is going to be here. Um, last I heard, now they're saying mid-September. Before they were saying early October, now they're saying mid-September. So let's say four to six weeks. Um, so there is going to be a better one. And ideally, you'd wait three to four months before you get another booster. So you could get last year's booster now and then I guess get another one early December. Um, so those would be your options. So it really depends on, um, I would recommend talking to your doctor about just how at risk you are. But if your goal is that you want to travel, you don't want to catch COVID while you're traveling, um, you could get boosted. It'll help a little bit, but I would also encourage you to take other steps to avoid COVID, like wearing a mask on the plane um, and you know, trying to eat outside and just being a little bit more mindful about um, not inhaling what other people are exhaling, uh, especially when you're in crowded indoor spaces. Um, so I, I think that would be a little bit more effective and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. So I want to address another like frequent comment I get when I talk about COVID is like, but it's just like a cold at this point. So is it just a cold? Well, um, I would say there are short-term and then long-term impacts to consider when it comes to COVID. So short-term, it's true that COVID feels like just a cold for some people. Um, uh, anecdotally, I mean, I know a lot of kids who seem to barely have any symptoms when they have COVID, but I know some adults who've told me that as well. But for others, like for me, it's more like the flu, you know, fever, body aches in bed a couple of days. Um, and the isolation uh, can be inconvenient. Um, there were certainly, you know, um, for my children, like if they had COVID, they couldn't go to camp. You know, you could potentially miss out on something um, that was important. Um, and then there's also just the possibility of long COVID. Uh, so what is your risk of getting long COVID? And I mean, the more substantial, profound symptoms that last for months and months and affect your ability to live your normal life. Um, different experts say different things. Uh, I saw something from earlier this year where a bunch of researchers who work on it, you know, kind of put the estimate at five to 10%. I think for the really bad long COVID, it might be lower. So I personally, for myself, like thinking about risks, I ballpark it at 5%, one person in 20. That means most people, you know, who get COVID won't get it, but you know, a few will. Um, and it is higher in unvaccinated people. And you can get long COVID if you've had COVID before. So just something to keep in mind. And then longer term, we're still not sure what are the longer term effects. Um, lots of longer term effects were seen in people who got COVID and were unvaccinated. So from the first year, um, the effect on people who are vaccinated is still being sorted out. Um, I'm on the side of, you know, let's be a little bit more careful until we know exactly what we're dealing with. But it's a very creative virus. There's actually recent research showing that um, in some cases it hijacks your mitochondria in your cells that create uh, energy. Um, that seems to be a factor um, often for long COVID, but might be a factor for other people as well. So um, it's a weird creative virus and, and I prefer to err on the side of caution. Um, so um, 
Now, what about boosters and um, long COVID? So again, long COVID is real and remains a risk even if you're vaccinated and have had a booster. So most cases were preceded by mild COVID. Um, and the CDC actually recently published a study. I'll post a link to it. Um, they estimate that 6% of adults right now in the United States are affected. And a quarter of those are reporting significant activity limitations, like they're their ability to do activities is quite limited. So, um, you know, that that's important at a public health um, level. Um, now, one thing that does lower your risk of long COVID, first of all, being vaccinated, um, we don't know if being recently boosted does it. So as far as I could tell, it's not clear how much of it is having been vaccinated in the first place versus, you know, um, if you haven't had a booster in a year or two, is your long COVID risk higher? That seems a little bit unclear um, right now. Um, but it does look like taking Paxlovid, if you catch COVID, does reduce the risk of long COVID. So that's another thing to keep in mind. Now, another question I get is, is it realistic to try to completely avoid COVID? What's the point? Um, well, you know, it's very hard to completely avoid COVID. I mean, especially because of the way society has moved on. Um, if you want to still socialize and engage with the outside world, uh, it's it's extremely difficult to um, be completely avoidant. Um it's hard to wear an N95 when nobody else is wearing it, especially if it's all the time and not just uh, on the plane. And it's important to note that socializing and, you know, engaging with other people, with activities, you know, um, that's really, really important to every person's mental health. And it's especially important to older adults. Um, so this is true. And um, I feel like we can still, uh, you know, without making it the goal that nobody ever gets COVID, we can still take COVID seriously um, in that, you know, as a society, are we going to feel like it's relevant and of value to try to reduce COVID cases in ourselves and in our communities? Um, are we going to say to ourselves, well, it's better if you only get COVID once or twice in five years versus, you know, five to 10 times? Um because if we don't care about COVID cases at all or mitigating COVID, we're kind of saying we don't care how often people get it. And I think that's, personally, I think that's unwise, um, which is why I think a lot about how can we catch it less often. So the idea is not can we get the risk down to zero, but it's, you know, what are things that we could do so that we catch it less often and so that we pass it on less often? Because there are things not only that we can do personally, but that we can do as a society. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, those in a moment. But, you know, in terms of um, getting better indoor air quality in schools and in public places, um, making tests uh, affordable to people so that it's easier for people to check and see if they have it. Um that right now is, has, is becoming expensive in the United States because in the United States, a COVID test, people now have to pay out of pocket and they're usually 10 to $12. You know, in Europe, they decided to subsidize them and they're more like a few euros. It's significantly cheaper. Um, okay. So if we want to catch and pass on COVID less often, um, how do we do that right now? How do you do that during this search? So the fundamentals never change in that it's an airborne disease. So especially when wastewater levels go up or when you start hearing about people coming down with COVID, the idea is basically to one, take steps to reduce your exposure to what others are exhaling. And then two, to have, you know, test if any symptoms, um, right? To find out if you have it and if you do so that you can keep yourself away from other people. So um, to reduce exposure to what others are, are exhaling, um, wearing a good mask in crowded indoor areas um, should help. And a good mask means 
a KN95 or an N95. Don't bother with surgical or cloth masks. So I, I still have my masks with me, um, although I'm, I'm wearing them less right now because I just had COVID and I'm testing negative. So right now, I can't be giving anyone COVID and I'm not going to catch COVID. So I'm actually wearing them less, but you know, these are pretty, these are pretty easy to put on if you're going into the subway or a crowded spot, or if you want better protection and they're actually lighter and more breathable. Um, you know, my favorite for the plane uh, is the 3MV Flex. It's a little goofy looking, goes over the, goes over the head. Um, but if I were, you know, trying to be careful, um, for myself or for somebody else, I would think about those masks. The cloth surgical masks are probably not good enough. Um, so, uh, other things that help is, you know, socializing and dining outside when possible, um, and ventilating indoor spaces. So the more we open, uh, so for ventilation, uh, well, ventilation means bringing in fresh air. So that's opening windows and doors. Um, or we can um, filter the air with, you know, air filters, uh, which is the better long-term solution, you know, for buildings and indoor spaces. Um, so otherwise, um, to um, reduce your chance of catching and passing on COVID, you want to test if you have any symptoms, and then you want to isolate and or wear a good mask. So masking is partly about not catching COVID from other people, but it's also effective as source control. So if you think you might have COVID or you're recovering from COVID, um, when you wear a mask, and I would recommend wearing a mask around other people until you start to test negative on the rapid test, um, you are expelling your COVID germs less into the space where other people are. Um, so if you start off getting symptoms, it's very common, especially if you're vaccinated or if you've had COVID before, to not test positive right away. It can take up to two, three days. Um, so I would you know, what we call it in medicine is having a high index of suspicion um, for COVID uh, until it's been, you know, if you've had your symptoms for three days and you're still not testing positive, it's probably not COVID. It's probably something else. Um, and then you can be more careful around nursing homes and frail elders. If you have the tests available, you could test just to be safe before you see somebody like that. But again, tests have become more expensive now that, um, the public health emergency is over. Insurers are no longer required to provide them for free. So um, it can be a little bit trickier to test. Um, and so, yes, I want to say again a few words about, you know, public health advocacy. I really believe COVID should be treated more as a public health issue and less as a kind of personal decide on your risks and what you want to do. Um, so if that's of interest to you, um, again, better indoor air quality in schools and public places. And it's not just good for COVID. Um, it can help reduce other respiratory illnesses, whether it's flu, uh, colds. Um, it can also protect people from air pollution. You know, our many city areas are relatively polluted. It can protect people from wildfire, wildfire smoke, um, you know, which now is becoming a big, bigger issue, right? Canada had huge wildfires this summer that affected the Eastern seaboard. We in California have had, um, I don't think we had so many wildfires this summer, but we've had past summers where we've had a lot of them. So um, I think it's really an important long-term investment and, um, 
And the more the public, you know, thinks it's, it's valuable, the more likely it is that we'll see it. So I want to encourage that. And then, um, another thing that, you know, as a society we could be doing, um, is making sure that tests, rapid tests and other tests remain affordable so that people can do that checking, that good quality masks are available to people, um, easily and that treatment, um, is easily available if people do get, uh, COVID. Um, and there's also the question of just, you know, um, available sick leave so that when people are sick, they don't come to work and get other people sick. Or if their kids are sick, they can take the time off. So moving on, what are the symptoms of COVID right now? Um, as far as I can tell, they're not super different. They remain very variable. I mean, it's certainly possible that with different variants, we're going to, it'll be more common to have certain kinds um, of symptoms. But I had somebody tell me, oh, I heard the latest one is like this or that. And what she described wasn't what I had and wasn't what my friend had, but I'm sure for some people it's been like that. So really it can be anything from mild stuffy nose, like a cold or allergies. It can be like the flu fever, sore throat, body aches. Um, people can just be very tired. Some people do get diarrhea or what we call GI symptoms, gastrointestinal symptoms. It can be delirium, especially in frail older adults. So that's when um, a person gets uh, more confused or starts to hallucinate or gets very quiet and inattentive. Um, so I think of it as a state of worse than usual mental function. Um, so for somebody who has Alzheimer's or another dementia, they might get much more confused than usual. Uh, and then some people seem to have no symptoms with COVID. And there's actually some interesting research on how certain genetic types might be more likely um, to uh, to do that. Uh, what should you do if you catch COVID? Um, so rapid tests still work for COVID. Just as I said, they might take a few days to turn positive. If you catch COVID, especially if you're over the age of 50, uh, Paxlovid is recommended. Um, it remains very effective for now. Um, um, I say for now, because it's possible that at some point COVID, the COVID virus will develop resistance, but we're not seeing that yet. Um, so totally recommended for older adults and those at higher risk. It does interact with some common medications, including some cholesterol medications, but often it can still be given. The doctors just have to have you stop the cholesterol medication for a while or make some other changes. So there's a great FDA Paxlovid eligibility checklist that you can use um, because Paxlovid does work better than um, the other oral medication. And then the other option for outpatient treatment is an IV treatment that you have to take three days in a row. And that's just logistically inconvenient for most people. Also, if you catch COVID, I recommend resting, especially if you feel exhausted. Um, and I do recommend household isolation measures to prevent transmission to housemates. So the sick person isolates in a room, everyone wears a mask in the common house spaces, and you ventilate by opening windows uh, or you run air filters. And then the person who has COVID should continue to isolate until their rapid test is negative. So keep wearing a mask in the house. And it can take a while. So I found, especially with older adults, they can even when they take Paxlovid, they can remain positive for like over two weeks. So um, again, inconvenient. So part of why I think it's better to you know catch COVID less often if possible. So in summary, COVID wastewater levels are going up and we are in a late summer wave. So older adults, especially those who are 75 plus and others with risk factors are still at risk of severe COVID if they catch COVID, especially because most people, even if they got the booster, 
it was almost a year ago and the effectiveness has waned. So um, I would encourage you to consider precautions if you're at higher risk or if you could expose someone who is at high risk. So wear an N95 or KN95 on planes or in crowded indoor spaces. And then um, the updated COVID booster is expected in mid to late September. I highly recommend it. Um, for those who are over age 65, and it's also likely to benefit others at high risk for severe COVID. Um, and in case of COVID, um, please consider Paxlovid, especially if you're over the age of 50, and otherwise wear a mask and isolate from others until you're negative on the rapid test. So thank you for this COVID update. Be well, take care. And um, well, I will be back once there's more major news about COVID. Thank you, everybody. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode of Better Health While Aging. If you have any questions about something you heard in this episode, you can post it on the show notes page for the episode. I'll also be posting some links to some of the resources that I mentioned in the episode. To find the show notes, visit betterhealthwhileaging.net and click podcast in the main menu at the top. Last but not least, if you've been enjoying the podcast, don't forget to support us by subscribing on iTunes. And if you've already done that, please leave a rating and review. This makes it easier for others to discover our show in iTunes, and I would love for the many people who are interested in health or aging or family caregivers to be able to find it and give it a chance. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dr. Leslie Kernison, and I'm looking forward to you joining us for future episodes.